welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders, part of the Edge Sports family. It's the Tuesday before week eight, so this is the waiver wire episode. I'm going to run through all of last week's games to give you my observations on which players you might want to pick up. And you can also check out my article on footballoutsiders.com if you want some specifics on how much fab to spend and on whether you should use the number one waiver priority that you would then lose. But let's go ahead and get into this. We've got a lot to cover today. Jumping back to last Thursday's game between the Chiefs and Broncos. And obviously the big news in this game and the big news in fantasy in general is that Patrick Mahomes got hurt. He uh, dislocated his kneecap. Adam Schefter had a report that said he may only miss three weeks, so that's great news for there. But for the short term in fantasy, I think the, the real question here is going to be whether you should roster Matt Moore or not. Moore went 10 for 19 for 117 yards and a touchdown in relief of Mahomes that week. I think it's going to be tough for him. I mean, obviously, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson may be the best wide receiver grouping in the league. Uh, so he's going to probably have better production than he's typically had throughout his career. But I think true talent-wise, he completes about 4% fewer passes than Mahomes for almost two yards per attempt less than Mahomes. So I'd say maybe true talent, he's a quarterback two, but with three games coming up against top 12 DVA defenses in the Packers, Vikings, and Titans, I would say you can probably leave more on your waiver wires, even in your deeper formats for the time being. It's probably going to be a tough run for, for each of those guys. Meanwhile, Chad Henney could be coming off of uh, injured reserve in week nine, so I'm not even sure that Moore is going to be the, the clear starter every week. One player the the, the, uh, the Chiefs may lean on a little bit more in Mahomes' absence is LaShawn McCoy. A couple weeks ago, he had zero carries and just two touches in a game, and I, I thought that Damian Williams was probably back as being the number one option. But since then, McCoy has averaged 12 touches a game the last two weeks, and he continues to outproduce Damian Williams just in general. Williams took nine carries for just seven yards this last week. McCoy uh, had 43% of the offensive snaps for the Chiefs this last week versus 33% and 30% for the two Williamses. So I think McCoy is the number one guy there. And while he won't be as productive as number ones on other teams, given the workload split, I think he can probably be a running back two or flex option, depending on, on the weekly matchups. And they ride, they may ride him a little bit more with Matt Moore in there at quarterback. Also of note here, Demarcus Robinson played 80% of offensive snaps this week versus 48% for Hardman and 23% for Pringle. I think you can probably go ahead and drop Hardman and Pringle in your shallow formats even if Mahomes was still there, I mean, Sammy Watkins is probably going to be back in week eight. And I think that's just going to squeeze those guys out with as much talent as they have on their team. And then for the Broncos, Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, they weren't super productive in what I thought was going to be a good matchup against the Chiefs' bad run defense, but they had their typical splits. So I think you can sort of judge them that way going forward. And then Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders continued to dominate the team's targets. The one thing I would keep an eye on there is Emmanuel Sanders seems like a potential trade candidate. Obviously, the Broncos aren't going anywhere this season. Sanders is a veteran, and Sutton looks like he can be a number one receiver for the Broncos going forward. Um, but I'm not really sure a trade would increase Sanders' fantasy value. If he landed somewhere like the 49ers, it would probably actually hurt his value. But something to keep an eye on approaching next Tuesday's trade deadline. Next up, we have the Ravens at Seahawks. With Marquise Brown again missing this week, no Ravens wide receiver had more than four targets in this game. So I just don't really think any of those other wide receivers are worth owning in fantasy. Hopefully Marquise Brown will be back in week nine. The Ravens are on by this week. And I think he and Mark Andrews are pretty much all you have there in the passing game from with a, with fantasy value. And then for the Seahawks, Rashad Penny didn't have any touches in this game, played just two offensive snaps, but he wasn't actually on the injury report. You know, he had been dealing with that hamstring injury. I think it's possible that CJ Procise passed him on the depth chart, although Procise only had six snaps in this game as well. 
honestly, you can probably drop both of those guys in your shallower formats and just roll with Chris Carson. Although feel free to own Penny if you need a handcuff, because I'm sure that if Carson went down, Penny would be the one getting the majority of those touches given his size. Uh, DK Metcalf, the rookie receiver, just four catches for 53 yards in this game, but had nine targets, which led the team by two. I think he's going to be the biggest beneficiary of Will Disley's injury. He actually leads all wide receivers with 11 end zone targets this season, so I think he's probably going to be scoring a good number of touchdowns. He has 22.5% wide receiver and tight end target share on the season, which is you know not great. It's probably more in the wide receiver three slash four range. But I think that's going to bump up without Disley there. I think he's clearly the number two target on the team at this point. Uh, Jerron Brown had three catches for 60 yards on six targets and dropped a, a bunny touchdown that would have been his uh, third in three games. And it's actually those all three came one in zone targets the last two weeks. And so that kind of makes Brown seem like a guy maybe benefiting from Mosley's absence too. But Brown, I think, is just benefiting from the fact that the Seahawks have had a number of opportunities in the red zone the last two weeks. Because Tyler Lockett also has three end zone targets, Metcalf has two, and David Moore has one, and Luke Wilson has one the last two weeks as well. So I would say you can probably just ignore Brown for now. He played just 60% of the offensive snaps and isn't even getting 20% of the team's offensive uh, wide receiver and tight end target share right now. At tight end specifically, if you want a tit-for-tat replacement for Disley, Jacob Hollister looked more like that guy this week, catching three passes for 20 yards but seeing six targets. Uh, five more than his teammate Luke Wilson. But he actually played a very similar amount of snaps as Wilson, 51% to 47%. So my guess is this is going to be a lot more of a timeshare than it looked in terms of production this week. And I would avoid both of those players in your deeper formats. Maybe the Seahawks will, will find a trade for a better tight end. But for now, I think it's going to really be their wide receivers that benefit from Disley's absence. Next up, we have the Rams at Falcons. Malcolm Brown, uh, unexpectedly, I think for me, missed this game with his ankle injury. At this point, between him and Todd Gurley, it seems like one of them's a good bet to miss every week. And I think that makes rookie Daryl Henderson somebody you might be considering picking up in your deeper formats. He had 11 carries and one catch this week and has been fairly productive so far this season. I think he may get worked in a little bit more over the rest of the year, even if Gurley plays, because I think the Rams are, are dedicated to keeping Gurley a little bit healthier for their hopeful playoff push this season. And then Gerald Everett, you know, a player a couple weeks ago had a massive game that I kind of dismissed. He continues to get targets. He had 10 this week to lead the team. And it wasn't like the Rams had an unusual number of pass attempts, just 36 aimed targets this week. Tyler Higby had just one target, one catch for eight yards. Everett's really, I think, passed him by. The, the workload splits are a little bit more even, but just in terms of wide receiver and tight end target share, Everett is up to 21.7% over the last four weeks. Uh, that's seventh best at the position, and now it's it's dramatically short of the top six, which is guys like George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey, and, and Austin Hooper. But I think if you're looking at that next tier behind that in the back end of the top ten, that maybe Everett belongs in that mix right now. So you know I think he might be similarly valuable to like a Greg Olson type or maybe a Delaney Walker when he gets back and healthy. So you know in your shallower formats even, I think you should definitely pick Everett up. I think you can use him as a top. 10 or 12 option probably for the rest of the season. For the Falcons, their big news is that Matt Ryan uh, hurt his ankle in the third quarter and was forced out of this game. And it sounds like he may not play this Sunday, so th- this is something to keep an eye on. I was a little surprised to see that Matt Schaub was his backup, but despite his age, Schaub has actually had very, very solid uh, professional numbers 64% career completion percentage, 7.6 yards per attempt in his career. I think Schaub might be a decent matchup playing at home this Sunday against the Seahawks. 
he might be a plug and play option for you in your deeper formats if you need help at the position. Although come back on Thursday and I'll give you my my opinion about where to rank him for the week. And then at running back, uh, Ido Smith suffered his second concussion of the season. Frequently guys that suffer multiple concussions end up missing multiple weeks, if not the rest of the season. That's currently happening with Sterling Shepard for the Giants right now. And I think that's going to either bring Brian Hill or Quadri Olison into the mix behind Devontae Freeman this week. Now, with, with Shaw possibly starting a quarterback, I think that second running back position is a little bit less appealing. But both Hill and Olison have some potential in that respect. With the similarity scoring system um, that I use, they both look like third down backs more than anything else. Hill compares to Buck Allen, Wayne Gallman, uh, and Charles Sims, whereas Olison compares to, I guess, similar players, Darrell Williams and TJ Yeldon. So, you know, these may be guys that can kind of work in there behind Freeman and, and get some production in terms of targets. Um, Hill has caught five called passes on 5% of his college touches at Wyoming, whereas Olison caught them on 8.6% of his career touches at Pittsburgh, which notably is twice the receiving ratio that James Conner had for Pittsburgh as well. Conner, obviously a huge impact receiver now for the Steelers. So these guys are both interesting. I'm really not sure who's going to play. Hill was the one that was active in week three, but assuming that Ida Smith will be inactive for the game, both of them could be active this week. So I would just say check the news as we approach the week. And if this really may be more of a situation where you monitor what happens and see if they maybe have future value over the next few weeks, assuming that Smith misses multiple weeks. Um, and then of note, over the last, I think, 12 or so hours, uh, the Falcons traded Mohamed Sanu to the Patriots. And this is really nice undoing sort of the log jam they have at wide receiver. And I think we'll make Calvin Ridley probably a wide receiver too for the rest of the season, at least as soon as Matt Ryan returns to action. Ridley is already owned pretty much in every league, but that may be imp- uh, important for your DFS play out there. And then I'll get to Sanu when I get to the Patriots. But next up, we'll, we'll shift over to the Dolphins at Bills game. Mark Walton, probably the biggest story here, 14 carries for 66 yards and a catch too. Uh, he played 52% of the offensive snaps compared to just 41% for Kenyon Drake. He had already passed Kalen Bollage over the previous two weeks and I think is clearly ahead of him on the depth chart. My guess is that the Dolphins reduced Drake's workload here because they might be trying to trade him. Again, that trade deadline is a week from today on October the 29th. But again, if that ends up happening, that's going to really increase Walton's value. So definitely in your deeper leagues, pick him up. And even in shallow leagues, if you play in a PPR format, I think Walton could have some value over the rest of the season. Pick him up for at least a week to see what happens there with Drake. And then along a similar line of thinking, I think Devontae Parker and Preston Williams should both be owned. Parker, I think, is definitely the trade candidate here. And at pretty much anywhere else he went, I think he would see an increase in his value. If he landed on a team like the 49ers, he might become the number one receiver for that new team. And then meanwhile, Preston Williams, if Parker leaves, I think could have a ton of value. Even with Parker there, he's had a, a very high volume of 27.8% wide receiver and tight end target share. That's 21st highest of the position in football. He had six more catches for 82 yards this week. And I feel like, you know, with Ryan Fitzpatrick there at quarterback, this offense is looking a little bit more capable. I think Williams can be productive over the rest of the season, in particular if Parker ends up being traded. For the Bills, Devin Singletary was finally back after missing, I think it was four or five games uh, with his hamstring injury. Pretty modest production here, seven carries for 26 yards. He played just 39% of the offensive snaps compared to 54% for Frank Gore. But I think as he gets healthier uh, and this year moves on, that's probably going to switch over time. And Singletary has a lot of upside as a receiving option for this team. Could be very productive for you in the second half, so pick him up in your shallow formats. Duke Williams, uh, he played 54% of the offensive snaps. 
I think he, he pretty quickly entrenched himself as the number three target in this offense behind John Brown and behind slot receiver Cole Beasley. And then at six foot three and 225 pounds, Williams may be the preeminent touchdown scorer for this team, apart from Josh Allen running in touchdowns for himself. So he could have some value in deeper formats as well. Next up, we have the Jaguars at Bengals. Nick Foles, you know, he was throwing some passes over this weekend. I think he's going to be healthy enough to fully return as soon as he's eligible in week 11 from injured reserve. But Gardner Minshew, I mean, he's just played so well. 7.4% DVOA on the season, comfortably leads all rookie passers. If I had to guess, I would say Minshew is probably going to keep this job, although I know that there's financial incentive potentially for the Jaguars to, to let Foles have more of a try at this. But, you know, I, I'm probably not eager to pick up Foles in my fantasy leagues because I think that Minshew may have the job going forward. Uh, Chris Conley had three catches for 83 yards on eight targets this week, but he kind of continues to be mired in that, that 66 to 77% snap share split with DJ Chark and D.D. Westbrook. I think he's clearly third of that group in terms of fantasy value. Chark is probably the only one that I want to start in my shallow leagues. And then uh, for the Bengals, Joe Mixon, another poor game here, 10 carries for two yards. It's not really his fault that he has a 3.0 yards per carry average on the season. The Bengals have 3.32 adjusted line yards, which is second worst in football, ahead of only the Jets. But that said, Mixon is still trailing all running backs with negative 99 DYAR and has a negative 35.9% DVOA. At this point, I don't know if you can really use him in your standard formats, and he's not getting the receiving work the way that, say, a James Conner or Le'Veon Bell is to kind of overcome that tough situation that he's in. Yeah, receiver Alex Erickson had kind of a strange performance here. Eight catches for 137 yards on 14 targets is a huge volume there. He actually played 94% of the offensive snaps here, so I think it's pretty clear that he's the number three receiver behind Tyler Boyd, Boyd and Auden Tate, at least until A.J. Green gets back. But Erickson actually also played 80% of the snaps in week five with that same trio of receivers and caught just four catches for 47 yards that week. So I think this may have been kind of a weird thing and plus a matchups thing. The Jaguars are the number five DVOA pass defense against number two receivers, but number 23 against other receivers. So it may have been a situation where they just effectively locked down Boyd and Tate and that left Erickson as the guy to getting the, the most of the targets here. I probably won't be using Erickson uh, even in my deeper formats. I don't, I don't really think this moves the needle for his value. And then with Green, it sounds like he's not going to return from his injury prior to, to next week's trade deadline. So I'm guessing he's going to probably stay on the Bengals for the rest of the season. But I, hey, I think he can be a wide receiver too for the Bengals this year too over the second half of the season. So I'm definitely picking him up in my shallow leagues, hoping that he plays in another week or two. Next up, we have the Vikings at Lions. Kirk Cousins has kind of been the major story throughout football. After another excellent performance, 24 of 34 for 337 and four touchdowns. And that adds his uh, his streak up to three games of 300 plus yards passing and averaging 3.3 touchdowns over those last three games. And so I would say that Cousins is doing really well, but I mean, that's not really that surprising to me. I think this has really been a matchups run for him. A couple weeks ago, you had the Giants defense, which is number 28 in DVOA pass defense. Then you got the Eagles dealing with all of their secondary injuries, plus they boost pass plays by 17%, which is the most in football. And then this week against the Lions, the Lions normally have a pretty good pass defense. They're number 10 in DVOA entering the week. Uh, but Darius Slay ended up getting knocked out of this game pretty early, and he's really their number one coverage option at cornerback. So I think that just kind of made things a lot easier on Cousins and has kind of been responsible for his recent run of fantasy performance. And so I would say that I would treat Cousins as really a matchups play for the rest of the season. And that means you shouldn't really spend a ton of fab money to grab him in fantasy this week because you can probably grab a Jacoby Brissett type and get similar production, in particular because Cousins has some matchups coming up where I think 
passing volume may be a bit of a, an issue for him. And in particular, that could be this Thursday against the Redskins. Could be a really big Dalvin Cook game and maybe tough for Cousins to put up the, the numbers you've become accustomed to there for you in fantasy. Now, one player that may do well in the passing game this Thursday is B.C. Johnson, the rookie receiver. Adam Thielen injured his hamstring, crashing into the wall through the end zone on a really nice touchdown catch this last week. And it sounds like he's definitely going to miss this Thursday's game. Johnson played 71% of the team's offensive snaps after Thielen ended up missing most of that game. And that's compared to just 14% for Laquan Treadwell. So I think Johnson is the number two receiver now, at least for one week, behind Stephon Diggs. And for the Lions, they suffered their own significant injury here with Carrion Johnson having a knee injury that's going to probably cost him multiple weeks, although it doesn't sound like he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And in the interim, I think rookie Ty Johnson is probably going to be the major beneficiary. He had 10 carries and four catches after Carrion Johnson left last Sunday. Uh, he's a six-round rookie pick and was very involved as a receiver at Maryland, but is 15 pounds heavier than J.D. McKissick, so I think he can actually hold up to that early down workload. Whereas I see McKissick probably not seeing a huge bump in his his volume of work. But hey, I mean, McKissick was already seeing at least six touches per game over the last three. So even in deeper leagues, McKissick may have some value there. Marvin Jones obviously had the great game in this one with 10 catches for 93 yards and four touchdowns on 13 targets. Uh, that's actually his second career game with four touchdowns. This is pretty incredible. I think the stat was that only uh, Jerry Rice and Sterling Sharp had ever done that in their careers. So incredible work there for Marvin Jones, but this doesn't really move the needle for his fantasy value for me. He has just 24.1% wide receiver and tight end target share on the season. That's 34th of the position, and that's probably kind of about where I see his fantasy value. That's actually right behind Will Fuller, and I think those are similar players when they're both healthy. They're boom and bust guys, so they probably make more sense as sort of a DFS tournament play, looking for that big swing, than than I would want to use them in sort of a head-to-head weekly format. And then Danny Amendola, with Kenny Galladay really not getting a lot of work against this tough defense, Amendola had eight uh, eight catches for 105 yards on 11 targets, but the Vikings are number 21 DVA defense against other wide receivers, so I think this is really more of a matchups thing that boosted Amendola. Imadola definitely should be used in your deeper formats, but in shallow leagues, I think you can probably leave him on your wire. Next up, we have the Raiders at Packers. Uh, for the Raiders, I thought Zay Jones was probably going to get into this game, but he was actually ruled inactive before the game. I'm guessing it's because you know he was only traded the week before during the bye week, so he may not be ready with the playbook and such. But, man, the Raiders could really use somebody at wide receiver. Tyrell Williams, again, missed this game, so... If Zay Jones doesn't play in week eight, then I think it's probably time to go ahead and cut bait and assume that he's not going to be a major part of that offense. For the Packers, I mean, the big story, I guess, was that Aaron Rodgers had six touchdowns, but we kind of knew that was a great matchup for him against the Raiders, so not too surprising. Uh, Aaron Jones got a lot more of the work this week than the previous 12 carries and four catches versus three carries and four for Jamal Williams. So I think Jones is a pretty safe running back two the rest of the way. Uh, And then rookie Dexter Williams actually made his NFL debut and had six snaps. Probably not going to be involved in fantasy, but could have some handcuff potential if some of those other guys go down. And wide receiver, it was a pretty distributed workload with uh, none of the wide receivers getting more than five targets with Devontae Adams still out with turf toe. But Alan Lazard is the one that continues to stand out for me. He's up to a 42% DVOA on the season, which is actually much better than the normal starters, Marquez Valdez-Scantling who has a 0.5% DVOA, and Geronimo Allison, negative 26.5%. Meanwhile, Lazard was up to an 85% of the offensive snaps played. Uh, Valdez Scantling played just 33%, which I think was influenced by his injury. Allison, 57%, and Jake Cumoreau, 72%. 
So it kind of looks to me like Lazard is either the number two or number three target in this offense behind Devontae Adams when he returns. And so I'm definitely picking him up in my deeper leagues. I think he could really be an impact player for you for the rest of the year. Plus, he's big and could be a red zone option. So, yeah, definitely pick up Lazard. Even in shallow formats, I could potentially see him having value. Next up, we have the Texans at Colts. Uh, Will Fuller, who I mentioned a second ago, left this game with a uh, hamstring injury, could miss several weeks. And I think that helps Kenny Stills probably have some fantasy value. Stills caught four balls for 105 yards on five targets. He'll probably be boom and bust as a deeper target, but he and Fuller were really sabotaging each other's values earlier in the year. And when Stills left uh, over weeks five and six, Fuller's target share increased from 21.7% to 36.8% and became a real fantasy option. Now, obviously, the Falcons matchup had a lot to do with that. And Stills just kind of starting in a lower spot with 13.2% of the team's wide receiver and tight end target share over the first four weeks. But I can still see Stills being maybe a back-end wide receiver three or top-end wide receiver four for the next few weeks while uh, Will Fuller misses a little bit of time. For the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, another nice fantasy day here, 26 of 39 for 326 and four touchdowns. He's had a very solid 8.4% DVOA on the season, so I've been impressed in that respect. But as I kind of mentioned earlier, talking about Cousins, I think this really has been sort of a matchup split thing. Brissett is averaging 2.5 combined touchdowns per game this season, but it's been very matchup specific. Against the Falcons, Raiders, Chargers, and Texans, he scored most of those. And those guys all boost uh, opposing passer touchdowns compared to an average team. And then the one game Brissett didn't throw a passing touchdown, that came against the Chiefs, who cut passing touchdowns by 17%. So I would say, yeah, try to use Brissett as best you can with matchups. That'll make him a bad start against the Broncos this week and against the Jaguars in a few weeks. They cut passing touchdowns by 20 and 30% respectively. But in between, you have that Steelers matchup, boosting passing touchdowns by 6%, and the Dolphins, who increased passing touchdowns by 61%. So go ahead and use Brissett in those matchups, but play the matchups with him the rest of the way. Uh, Zach Pascal, six catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns in this game on seven targets, but he played just 47% of the offensive snaps. I think that total may actually go down further when Paris Campbell returns from injury, so I don't think you can necessarily rely on him. Um, He may be the number two wide receiver for the team in the short term, but has just the 64th ranked wide receiver and tight end target share for the season. And then Eric Ebron, kind of vintage 2018 with this line of four catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, But he played just 42% of the offensive snaps compared to 76% for Jack Doyle and has just three end zone targets for the season. So I think he's more of a mid-tier tight end two and probably can be left on the wire in your shallower formats as well. For the Cardinals and Giants, uh, I know that I'm a David Johnson owner, so this was a tough one to watch. But Johnson was named active, took one carry, but mostly didn't play still dealing with an injury there. And Chase Edmonds had 27 carries for 126 yards and three touchdowns and two catches for 24 yards and zero touchdowns on four targets. So huge day for Edmonds. Probably a few people actually took advantage of it. But I kind of wanted to note here that Edmonds has been playing pretty well this season. Now, obviously, that Giants matchup is a great one. They increased run plays by 6% and rushing touchdowns per attempt by 32%. But that said, Edmonds still has a 51.4% rushing DVOA on the season and 25.1% receiving DVOA. At the very least, I think he's proving that he's a capable handcuff to Johnson. But what I could really see happening here the rest of the way is once Johnson gets healthy, is lining up Johnson more and more as a wide receiver and playing both of these players together. And that could make Edmonds a flex option, even in shallower formats, while Johnson is still on the field. And so I think you really should probably pay up to to add Edmonds in your fantasy leagues 
even if you don't already own Johnson, there's also a chance that he could kind of take over that work for Johnson the rest of the way. Johnson hasn't been as effective as a runner so far this season, although still tremendous as as a pass catcher. But one thing to sort of, I guess, mitigate how much you would want to spend on that is that the upcoming schedule looks very tough for the Cardinals. This week they go to the Saints. The Saints are the number 16 DVA run defense, but they cut run plays by 16%. That's the third most in football. Then there's two games against the 49ers in the next three. And the 49ers are the, the number 12 DVOA run defense, but the number one DVOA defense in general, or possibly number two. They, they and the Patriots keep going back and forth. And then the number one DVOA run defense in the Bucks is the fourth game in that mix, and that's in Tampa Bay. So it could be a very tough schedule there for Edmonds if he ends up taking more, more games away from David Johnson there. Uh, and then in terms of receivers for the Cardinals, rookie Andy Isabella played his first snaps of the season, I believe, 15% of the offensive snap share. Not really fantasy relevant for the short term, but good to see him getting worked in. Hopefully his, his future value is on the upswing. For the Giants, uh, Golden Tate, another nice day here with six catches for 80 yards on 11 targets, and that led the team by six targets. Darius Slayton played almost every offensive snap the same as Tate, but had just two catches for 28 yards. And Sterling Shepard looks like he may be back in a week or two, so I think Shepard is uh, probably going to take away some work from Slayton while Tate continues to be productive in fantasy. He'll probably lose a little bit when Evan Ingram gets back and right, but um, for the time being, Tate should be a pretty solid choice for you at wide receiver three. Next up, we have the 49ers at Redskins. Obviously, rain was a big factor in this game. I think that probably is a major reason why Dante Pettis was, went untargeted. Um, but of note, Debo Samuel missed Sunday's game with a groin injury and didn't practice all the last week. And Marquise Goodwin left the game with a concussion. And so Pettis was up to a 92% of the team's tar- uh, offensive snaps. And his percentage in that respect has increased every week. He may be an emergency option for you in deeper formats against the Panthers this week. And then Kendrick Bourne, I guess, would be the number two wide receiver if, those, if Samuel and Goodwin missed this game. Uh, Bourne had three catches for 69 yards last week, but played 89% of the offensive snaps versus 50% for Richie James and 5% for Jordan Matthews. Uh, Matt Breda left this game with a possible concussion, but he cleared the protocol. I think the reason he ended up sitting out most of the game is because he was poked in the eye, so I expect he'll be back and fine, ready to go for that Panthers game. And then for the Redskins, Adrian Peterson actually tweaked his ankle late in that game. He got an MRI yesterday, and I haven't seen the results of that yet. But it's possible that he misses time. And with Chris Thompson already dealing with a foot injury that's knocked him out, Wendell Smallwood may end up having some short-term fantasy value. He had just six touches this week, but might really be the only healthy back that they have uh, for week eight. And then for however long it takes um, for Peterson to come back, I think Darius Geis is probably the guy that's going to end up taking over as the early down back when he's eligible to return from injured reserve in week 11. It sounds like he may practice this week, so I think he'll be ready to go as soon as he's eligible there. Next up, we have the Chargers and Titans. I think the major fantasy news here is that offensive guard Forrest Lamp broke his ankle and is going to miss the rest of the season. The Chargers are just already dealing with so many issues there on their offensive line. And while Russell Okun could return sometime soon, he's coming back from that very scary pulmonary embolism. So I think it's unsure when he'll be back and ready to play. The Chargers have a 4.09 adjusted line yards on the season. That's 21st in football. And Melvin Gordon has just 2.3 yards per carry this season. I'm not sure that it's it's in any way his fault because Austin Eckler has 3.6 yards per carry, but that may make it tough for Gordon to have a lot of fantasy value over the rest of the season, especially given that his, uh, his average number of targets per game has dipped from over five the last two years to just 4.3 so far this season. Eckler's the guy that's still heavily involved in the passing game. 25 targets in three games since Melvin Gordon returned from his holdout. 
He had seven catches for 118 yards and a touchdown on eight targets this week. So I think really Eckler probably has more value than Gordon the rest of the way, unless their offensive line can turn it around and make things easier for Gordon over the second half of the season. And then Hunter Henry at this point, I think is owned pretty much everywhere, but another nice day, six catches for 97 yards, no touchdown, but eight targets. He's had 17 targets in two games since returning from his broken kneecap and his back is a clear top 10 option in the position. Uh, For the Titans, Ryan Tannehill, 23 of 29 passing, 312 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, He has a 9.0% DVOA on the season versus negative 19.9% for Mariota. So I think Tannehill is probably going to be the starter, at least for several more weeks. But I'll point out that the Chargers defense, number 27 DVOA against uh, a pass. So this really may have been a a matchup that that helped Tannehill perform so well. But even if Tannehill himself won't have a ton of fantasy value over the rest of the season, hopefully he can help Corey Davis and A.J. Brown be productive in fantasy. The former had six catches for 80 yards and a touchdown on seven targets. And given that Tannehill seemed a little bit more willing to go down the field with an 8.0 yard average depth of throw, hopefully Davis can kind of take advantage of the talent that he clearly has and maybe be a wide receiver three or four over the rest of the year. A.J. Brown, probably not that good, but was up to a 61% of the offensive snaps last week compared to 48% for slot man Adam Humphreys. So hopefully Brown is, is on the upswing and maybe have some future value in future seasons. In the meanwhile for the Titans, Delaney Walker left this game early with an injured ankle. And tight end Jonu Smith had three catches for 64 yards behind him. Walker looks like he's day-to-day and so could play in Week 8, but Smith may be a guy that you can start in a pinch if you need some help at tight end and Walker ends up missing that game. Next up, we have the Saints at Bears. Uh, Drew Brees, he's been throwing footballs, and it so sounds like he's going to try to return this week against the Cardinals. But since the Saints have a Week 9 bye, my guess is they'll probably hold him out for one more week to get two weeks of rest and then bring him back in Week 10. Uh, that's probably my best guess of things. Um, but Latavius Murray, amazing game here against that stout Bears defense. 27 carries for 119 yards and two touchdowns, as well as five catches for 31 yards in the air. His backup, Dwayne Washington, played just one snap. So I feel like if Alvin Kamara continues to miss time, and he may well because it sounds like he has a high ankle sprain, Murray could be a running back one for the Saints. But again, that bye is coming up, so it really may just be one more week against the Cardinals. But definitely start Murray this week against the Cardinals if if Kamara misses. And then a receiver, uh, Anthony Miller, five catches for 64 yards on nine targets. The Bears had a lot of passes in this game, 51 aimed attempts. But Miller, I think, has passed Javon Wims on the depth chart. He played 58% of the offensive snaps versus 34% for Wims. You're probably not starting either of those guys the way that Mitchell Trubisky is struggling right now, but in your deeper formats, maybe worth knowing. Next up, we have the Sunday night game, the Eagles at Cowboys. Boston Scott here, uh, seven carries for 32 yards and a catch uh, for five yards. Darren Sproles still isn't practicing with his quad injury, and Corey Clement landed on injured reserve. So I think Scott may end up playing sort of that receiving back role behind the, the top two guys uh, in Miles Sanders and Jordan Howard. Scott is really a Sproles-like player. He's five foot six, although a little bit bigger at 203 pounds. Called a pass on 10% of his college touches. So I think Scott can actually be a little bit involved and catch some passes. That really may only serve to hurt the other two backs that you want to use in fantasy, but in your deeper format, Scott may be worth owning. And then at receiver, man, it's been a real struggle for the Eagles so far this season. Alshon Jeffrey, negative 3.5% DVOA. Nelson Aguilar, negative 28.2%. Matt Collins, negative 31.1%. And J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, negative 92.8%. Obviously small sample there, but... This clean, I think this team really clearly needs Deshaun Jackson back. He wasn't able to play on Sunday night, but it sounds like he might return in week eight. He was pretty close last week. 
And so I think you should definitely pick him up in your shallow formats. He had 10 targets in week one, which seems like a lot for more of a deep threat in, in Jackson. But if Jackson is clearly the best receiving option for the team, then, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see him getting at least seven or eight targets a game for, for the Eagles going forward. He could be a really nice boost for your shallow league fantasy teams. And then another thing the, the Eagles have kind of been doing to sort of adjust to their bad receiving play is using more two tight end sets. And Dallas Goddard has had 12 targets over the last two weeks in that mix. I really don't have any concerns about Zach Ertz's value. He's continuing to see a really heavy volume uh, of targets. But Goddard could end up being a tight end, too, over the rest of the season as well if this team kind of relies more on those two tight end sets. For the Cowboys, not much to update here other than Amari Cooper was able to play this week, had five catches for 106 yards. They enter their bye in week eight, but that means when they come out of that, I think it's pretty clear that Cooper is going to be fully healthy and ready to go, and the Cowboys offense will be firing on all cylinders. And then Monday night game, the Patriots at Jets. A lot of news here for the Patriots. I think the primary one being that they traded for Mohamed Sanu, traded a second round pick for him. I think he's going to become the number two receiver for the team as long as Josh Gordon is out. But then again, it sounds like Gordon could be back as soon as next week from those scary looking ankle and knee injuries. So this may end up becoming a complicated situation behind Julian Edelman. Also complicating it, you have Philip Dorsett. He had another touchdown this week. Um, he has a 27.3% DVOA on the season, so looking very strong as a player. And then rookie Jacoby Myers, 27.7% DVOA on the season. I think he's the short-term loser with the Sanu trade. He played just 51% of the snaps this last week in any case. But he could still be involved the rest of the season because he looks like a very effective player. And then also the number one draft pick from last year, Nikhil Harry, started practicing and he's eligible to return from injured reserve in week nine. So there's going to be a lot of guys involved here. In your deeper formats, I'm probably going to pick all of those guys up and just kind of wait and see what happens. If I were handicapping things, I'd probably say that Edelman will be the number one fantasy option for the rest of the year. And then I'll say Sanu and then Gordon kind of near each other, then Dorsett, then Harry, then Myers. But I don't have a lot of confidence. So I think that all of those guys are worth owning. And then in your deeper formats too, Ben Watson, two weeks after being released, is back with the Patriots and had five targets this last week. May not see that same heavy target share in future weeks if they get all those other wide receivers back, but in your deeper formats, if you need help at tight end, Watson may be an option for you there. Now for the Jets, they really couldn't do much against that Patriots pass defense, but Demarius Thomas did have nine targets that led the team and has 22 targets over the last three weeks since returning from his injury, so he could be a sneaky wide receiver three for you in his best matchups the rest of the way. And then Chris Herndon, he missed this week with a hamstring injury, but I think he could return in week eight and is probably the most talented pass catcher on the team. So wouldn't stun me if he ended up being a tight end one over the back half of this season. And then I'll close this out by talking about the four teams that were on the bye this last week. For the Browns, the major story, I think, is Ricky Seals-Jones. He went up to 47 offensive snaps compared to 19 for Demetrius Harris in week six. So I think in your deeper formats, you need to spend up to, to grab him and make sure he's on your squad. For the Steelers, uh, Benny Snell had 17 carries for 75 yards back in week six, but I think that was mostly about James Conner suffering an injury. Uh, Conner should be back after the bye this, this upcoming week, although Jalen Samuels will probably miss two more weeks with his knee surgery. So Snell, probably a handcuff. I don't think he's going to have any value, but if, if you and Conner and want to handcuff him in the short term, you could make that work. For the Buccaneers, I think their offense is pretty stable, although I'm hoping that the bye week will increase Ronald Jones' percentage of the workload. Not necessarily going to count on it. And then for the Panthers, Cam Newton continuing to sit um, rehab from his Liz Frank injury is not going to play this week, 
although they're playing the, the 49ers in San Francisco. So you're probably not that eager to start Cam Newton in that spot or Kyle Allen either. Although I continue to think Kyle Allen is looking pretty good. So we'll see what happens there for the rest of the season. But Allen may be involved a little bit longer than originally anticipated. Okay, that's going to do it for this Thursday, uh, this Tuesday's episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. This, ep- uh, this, this podcast is available on both iTunes and Google Podcasts. So please subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already done so. And then come back in two days to hear my thoughts on the best and worst matchups for Week 8. Thanks, and I will talk to you then. Mm-hmm.